Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and again the chattering teacup is under the weather. It sometimes happens, but we'll keep our fingers crossed that she will be back very, very soon. But here with me from across the bond is author Kathy Orton. Hello, Kathy, and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. Hello, Edith. Nice to have you. Nice to have. <laughs> nice to be here, I guess. It's wonderful. Uh, we finally made it after I mixed up all the time zones. Sorry for that, but we... we I did. <laughs> it happens, you know. Across the bond between Europe and the United States, it can happen. But here we are. We are here to talk about at least one of your books. Maybe others as well. It's up to you. The Solace of Denim. It came out in May this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the main character is a boy. He's about 12 years old. He's 15. 15. Okay. Why did I, why did I think 12? Okay. 15. Uh, Joey. What can you tell our listeners about Joey and his story? Joey has, he was the victim of a violent crime, family crime. And as a result, he's been bounced around in the foster care system, never quite fit in. And when he finally, at the last placement he had, he met uh, his next door neighbor and that young boy became his best friend. And something happened to that boy and he was murdered. And now... The problem is Joey wonders if he did it or if someone else did it. And so his friend Luke had a denim jacket that he wore all the time. And whenever Joey puts the jacket on, he gets these visions of the, they're like clues that lead him to try and solve what happened to his friend. In the meantime, his friend's father, who is a police detective, he thinks that Joey had something to do with his son's murder. So it kind of overlaps a little bit. At the same time, the jacket, which is the friend, is pushing the two together, the father and, the, and Joey, because they need each other. And they need each other to solve the problem, solve the crime. So. It kind of goes like that. There's a lot of self-doubt on Joey's part, fear of who he is and what he'll become as a man. So it kind of, I don't want to say too much because it starts to like give away. Yeah, of course. <laughs> give away, but it's pretty much how it goes. Yeah, and, and Joey has a rough time, not just because he's bounced around in the foster care system, but also at school. He's the outsider. Yeah, he's the outsider. Um, the other kids know what happened to him in the past because of gossip. So they bully him. And especially now that the friend died, they think he had something to do with it. So they, they torment him a little more. Mm -hmm. And then he, he's alone. He doesn't have anybody to talk to. So it just sort of festers inside of him. But when you read the book, uh, you, at, at the beginning you get the impression, oh, he's, he's also a bad apple. But then you learn more about him, about not just his past and what happened to him, but also him as a person. And his interaction, for example, with the other kids in the foster family is really nice. Yeah, he cares about the other kids. He yeah. just he doesn't he doesn't like to show it. Yeah. <laughs> he's not he's not too keen on the adults, which which of course is understandable. And yeah. he doesn't trust them. And they are, well, at least in his eyes, I mean, uh, his foster father, I mean, he is a bit, let's say he's a, he's a, he's a penny pincher, uh, probably because they don't have that much money either. And I mean, this, this rural, I suppose it's more a rural uh, background where, where he lives and where he's staying at the moment. Um, We learn also again in the book that there is a lot going on in the background of this community. 
Well, I, I suppose they, it's a small town, which is something I'm familiar with, small farm town. So I know how people talk about you behind your back and stuff. So that kind of is what's going on. Uh, there's also some kids that are doing uh, some bad things mm-hmm. that are related to another crime. And it, Joey has gotten pulled into that, too, as a, an accidental, uh, accidentally got pulled into that when he overheard a conversation between the neighbor kids up the road who had gotten involved in this other crime. So it's all kind of weaves together. Mm-hmm. And may I ask, Kathy, where did the idea for this book come from? I mean, it's a book for uh, teenagers, for young adults. Where did, where, where did Joey, where did his character and the idea for, for the book come from? Well, it's, it's weird because I don't usually get ideas for the plot. I usually get, I, I see characters in my head sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I have to kind of like, who are you kind of questions. Where did you come from? What's your story? And kind of like mull that over until it starts to fall into place. And I had seen this picture a long time ago of a kid. It was just like a sketch mm-hmm. of him walking away in a snowstorm, just like mm-hmm. hunched over with his hands in his pockets. And that's kind of the vision that I saw as Joey walks the railroad tracks a lot. Mm-hmm. That aloneness of it, the aloneness of it, the, there's no destination was sort of symbolic of him, the wandering. So that between that picture and some other things that sort of popped into my head about the um, jacket, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of like wove it together. And then a friend of mine had an idea once for a story that we talked about a long time ago. He said, what if, you know, I have two boys and one of them um, is accused of, murdering his friend. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can do something with that. And it sort of sat there on the back burner for years. And then somehow it all mushed together. That image that I had, this character of Joey and that yeah. idea of what would happen if a friend was killed, what would mm-hmm. happen. And then I thought, well, what if the friend was trying to help his father heal? So he pushed the two characters together. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to do that? So it's like the jacket. Because the jacket actually belonged to his father, the dead, the dead boy's father. So that's kind of how it goes. Joey finds solace in the jacket, which is actually representative of the father, mm-hmm. the detective. So kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it's like it, it sort of spins off here and spins off there. Yeah, but it comes together quite nicely. And this light touch of the supernatural... I would like to call it that, is also interesting. Because it, again, oh God, do I give too much away maybe? But jo- <laughs> I don't know. Um, because all the time, Joey, like we said, other people perceive him as the bad apple. Like you said, I mean, what happened in his family? Uh, he always says, yeah, you are just like blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And... He he starts to think maybe I am just like, right when he isn't at all. No, so his friend always knew that about him. So his friend had believed in him, mm-hmm. and now it was a matter of someone else believing him, so he could trust it himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. But then there's you know, all the other fears: fear of violence that happened to him, and it just. I don't know, just one thing spins off of another. Mm. Do you have uh, any experience with uh, children with trauma? Um, Not with children with trauma, but I worked in a group home for 27 years with adults who had, Mm. you know, problems. Mm -hmm. You know, there was some mental health issues. There was some mild cognitive mental retardation or if you want to call it that mm-hmm. or, so and a lot of them came from ha- homes that were not you know <laughs> nice mm-hmm. you know drugs yeah. violence yeah. stuff like that oh. so 
Well, you kind of see the result of that in the behaviors that are manifest in the, these guys and the adults that I worked with. Mm-hmm. So that was, I did that for like 27 years or more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm just in the school system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. public schools. Mm-hmm. And you said it's a small town and, or rural. Here, yeah. Yeah, or, or rural uh, background where, where Joey lives. Um How is it, or in your experience, also in real life, how is it that people are treated who are in real life, who are traumatized like Joey or who have mental health is- issues, uh, completely different than, let's say, in a big city? I think in a big city it's easier to hide it because there's so many people and stuff. Mm-hmm. In a small town everybody knows everybody, so they know Family histories, they mm. know where, you know, they know the grandparents. It's like the teachers at the school where I work. They're like, oh, I had your dad in my class, you know, and their cousins and their brothers are in that same class. And yeah. you'll have, you know, so everybody knows stuff. Mm. They know who's been divorced and who has not and what happened in the marriage. It's like, it's just, everybody knows. Mm. And then it's. It's very rural, so it's tight mm-hmm. in a way too, because mm-hmm. it's um, family protecting family. So mm-hmm. if an outsider comes in, it's like, hmm, who's that? Everybody <laughs> wants to know, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah, it, it's, it's, everybody knows. Yeah, I can relate to that because I grew up in a in a village here in Austria, so it's completely different than living in Vienna, of course, where you don't even know uh, your next door neighbor most of the time. But like you said, every yeah. oh, everyone thinks they know each other's business. Right. Or not at all. Right. Maybe because we also learned it in, in your book, because they think they know the people they right. share this uh, environment with. Or when you look a bit deeper, you realize, oh, maybe not at all. I mean, it, you you find out that there's crimes that happen here too, you know. Mm-hmm. There's violence that happens. There's, you know, child pornography. Someone got caught with that, you know, so everybody finds out about it, you know. Or there was a murder in town a few years back, and it was like, oh, it was committing. Everybody was, like, paranoid for a while. They locked their doors and their cars. It's like... And then they found out that it was from somebody in another state way far away that did it. And they're like, oh, good. We're safe. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Can't happen to anybody else. But, you know, it's it's like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And is The Solace of Denim, is this your first book uh, for young adults? Yeah. What? Like I said, it was outside my norm. Mm-hmm. And it's sat on the back burner for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's a really I good book. I mean, it, it's a dark book in a way. Yeah. But we are not left without hope. Yeah, because it all ends on a happy. Yeah, I, I like to end things on a happily ever after because life doesn't always work that way. So it's nice to have some place to go mm-hmm. where it does. Mm-hmm. Like I said before we started the the recording, I absolutely enjoyed this book and you wanted to read on. I mean, I, I kept on reading because I wanted to know what happened next to Joey. How how are you going to solve his the pickle he was in? Yeah, he was in a pickle. <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> uh, I mean, the the foster care, the system... We, it's always it's always a topic or, or a theme uh, when when in young adult fiction. Is that really something that is that prevalent in the United States? I don't know. I can only go by you know. I've seen kids like in the special ed area that were raised you know in foster care and they didn't have any problems. Mm-hmm. And I've seen other kids like in the high school that were. In foster care, mm-hmm. and they they were okay. And then you always hear the stories of things that you know. But it's like one foster mom told me that the boy that she had living with her, you know, he always kept all of his stuff with him. Mm-hmm. 
he'd wear his coat all year long, you know, because he's afraid if you put it down, you won't get it back, sort of thing. So he always kept anything that was important on him. Mm-hmm. So even though he was like 16 or 17 at the time, he still had that in his head. That mm-hmm. If you put it down, he's going to take it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, you, you hear stories, even though, you know, she was a good foster mom. She was a friend of mine, but um, there's still stories. And then you get the news headlines of some horrific thing mm-hmm. that happened in the foster care system, you know, sex trafficking mm-hmm. or abuse or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I suppose. I have not seen it personally, though. Mm. Yeah, because we always hear about the bad, the bad things that happen to children, but not enough about the good stuff. Yeah, it's a tough thing for a foster parent because you know it, it's hard because mm. you're trying to fulfill a, a void, yeah, and then you can't really let yourself get attached, like a. Uh, Foster, uh, I know a foster mom and dad who had like three kids and one little girl was um, a product of, a. she was born addicted to whatever drug the mom was Mm -hmm. on. I forget Mm -hmm. what it was. So was it heroin? She was already born addicted. Mm. And then the mom gets cleaned up and then the system takes her out of the foster care and puts her back with the mom again. So it's like, okay, this is not going to be good. Mm, You know, so there's still some holes in the system, but I don't know how to fix it. And it's out of my my wheelhouse. (laughs) I think nobody knows how to fix it. And your your book, I mean, the, the, um, the perspective we get as a reader, you didn't write it in first person. Was it no. ever was it ever an idea for you to make it even more intimate for the reader? Not really, mostly because I always write in third person. Mm-hmm. Third person past. I just wanted to keep everything in his in his point of view. Mm-hmm. So I know it's really popular right now to write first person for a young adult. I just I'm not that comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. It just easier. It just flows faster and easier if it's in third person. I don't know. It's because I always read books in third person, most of the time, not all the time. Mm-hmm. And writing about this hard stuff in your book, um, did you think about what you could put in and how much description you could put in? Yeah, I have to be careful. You know, you know, I read it in a little bit. <laughs> Oh, you want to show it without showing it. Yeah. So I kind of liked it a flashback little bits mm-hmm. instead of immersing somebody in a whole terrible thing. It was like little bits mm-hmm. yeah. of flashback. So it wasn't like we were there when it happened, but mm-hmm. we saw bits of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's kind of how I did it. And I didn't want to get too graphic, but I wanted to keep it realistic. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a balancing thing. <laughs> Compared to writing for adults, what would you say was the greatest challenge? Oh, well, I write, I don't usually write dark, so that was a challenge. Because usually I write romance, it's Mm -hmm. usually on the lighter side. (laughs) So, and like I said, it was hard uh, not to get too graphic like you would for an adult book. Uh So I was kind of worried about you know, the violence aspect. But then I think I'm in high school all the time and I see what these kids, and I don't think it's totally out of their wheelhouse as far as what they watch on TV and what they show each other on their phones. And yeah, but at the same time, there's a responsibility not to get too crazy with it. Mm-hmm. Did you get, like yeah. Did violence. you get sucked into the dark? Well, I, it's like one of those things you're always, mulling it over and I didn't let, I don't want to get too dark because I don't really like that so like if I watch a movie and it's too dark I don't watch it oh okay yeah okay <laughs> you're more on the like you said on the light side and you said romance and historical fiction is more your yeah mm, writing style right but in this case the character like took over and he just wouldn't look you know that's why it's sat 
for years and I'd peck away at it and then put it back, you know. And so it took a long time to write this because I was doing other things at the same time. Oh, so he didn't go away. He was always there in the back of your mind. So even though it was out of my wheelhouse as far as comfort zone, it was something that needed to get written. Yeah. Yeah. And did he look you over the shoulder when you wrote his story? I don't know. It's just sometimes <laughs> you write something and you're like, that really wasn't where I planned to go with it. And you look at it and it's like, yeah, that's right. That's what he would say. That's what he would do. You know, it's like sometimes I write dialogue or something and it would be my point of view. Mm -hmm. And then I look at it and it's like, no, he wouldn't say that. He, he avoids. He doesn't confront. He He'll keep his mouth shut before he'll talk to anybody. You know, so it's like, no, I have to go back, delete, delete, delete. You know? <laughs> so it was kind of hard sometimes the overshadowing of the author to the character. Mm -hmm. but I guess that's common for a lot of writers, mm -hmm, yeah. no matter what you're writing. Mm -hmm. And do you think you will write another young adult? There's a, fiction? I don't know how, I have an idea for a sequel for that book. Mm. An idea, like a little <laughs> journal, an idea. But I'd want to keep the jacket and I'd want to keep Luke. So that character would need a goal and I can't figure out what would, he seemed to have gone happy on the end of that book. He resolved his own issue and, you know, he got to be with his mother. And so it was like, He's his issue was resolved, but if I wrote another book, he would need to be in it, and I can't figure out how. Hmm. So it's sitting there on the back burner in my brain. Mm -hmm. Well, let it simmer. Yeah. It's my come. So it's I'll my come. <laughs> yeah, it might come. It might not. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. It's like. And what can you tell me and our listeners about this other? Uh, part of you as a as a writer, especially the historic romance. Uh, that seems that seems to be the genre that I like the most. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I don't know. I just like when my kids were little, we didn't have we only had one channel on TV, and so when the babies were born, and I would be feeding them in the middle of the night, I would pick up these. Harlequin romances at the drug at the checkout, at the grocery store. They're really yep. thin little book. You know, it would take me like two hours to read them. And I thought, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and they were nice, happy stories. And I, you know, life, like I said, life isn't always happy. And it's nice yeah. to escape into something where you know it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. So I, I've always liked history. Mm -hmm. My mom collected antiques. She loved old things, everything in our house had a story attached to it as to where it came from. Mm -hmm. And my dad loved Westerns. Mm. So when I was in school and learning history, I just, I liked history. <laughs> and I did really well in history because <laughs> it made sense. I don't know. I liked it. I liked going into the past and wondering how people would handle modern things back then. It's like I wrote um, a book, my second novel, Lost Hearts, and the hero was a victim of, he was wounded during a civil, civil war and he carried a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder, but it wasn't defined. Yep. Yep. And, and this, the heroine in that book was dyslexic. Mm -hmm. And so there was nothing to, so here you have these two people together in this crazy outlaw lawman scenario and you know he's got all this ptsd and he's an alcoholic and she can't keep nothing straight in her head because everything turns around backwards she gets lost and so she's she's clung to this life that she hates because she's afraid to leave because mm -hmm. she gets lost <laughs> so it, it's like you take the dyslexia and the ptsd and you throw it in the past and stir it up and see what happens mm -hmm. it's like I wrote another book called Tarnished Night where she was a victim of domestic violence, you know, mm -hmm. an abused, abused wife, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, well, what do you do with that? Because back then, you know, husband could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I like to play with stuff like that. 
a little bit, throw it in the past and see what turns up. I don't know. And since you said uh, your, your father liked Western and uh, you liked history in general, do you have a favorite time period? I would say normally I would say the antebellum south through the end of the free range cowboy. Mm-hmm. You know, so that encompasses just before the Civil War to just prior to the turn of the century for, to the 19th, 1900s. Mm-hmm. But then I wrote a short story because the characters, they come, <laughs> they tell me where they live <laughs> about these two World War I pilots. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a little short story. So that takes me into the, the World War I. And it's Veterans Day. So Netflix and everything has all these World War II things on. And I think, hmm, what can I do with that? You know, World War II. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's like, I would say normally that I'm stuck in the cowboy period. Most of my books are that I have on my shelf over here are all Civil War um, and Victorian clothing and, and all that sort of thing. Um, guns from those periods, you know. Um, so that's my normal jam, but that, that World War One thing was, it took a, like a year to write that because I was totally out of my depth on the mm-hmm. research for that. Mm-hmm. But it was fun to research. Well, well you can <laughs> imagine that. And may I ask, I mean, we had quite a few guests now who wrote uh, or said their, their books during the Civil War shortly before and, like you said, during the war and, and, and after. Uh, what is it about that time period that is so fascinating to a lot of authors and also to to so many readers? I mean, I find, I, I mostly find also the, the Victorian era um, uh, incredibly fascinating because... In my in my point of view, uh, because of the the changes that happened in that time. Yeah, there's a difference between Victorian period in Europe mm-hmm. and the Victorian period here, yeah. and then you have like the Old West Victorian period and the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot more. It was a little bit more refined than it was mm-hmm. out west, but it was still the same period and still the same social societal expectations of people mm-hmm. but the civil war i think fascinated because it took a country and divided it mm-hmm. temporarily and it pitted brother against brother and i think that that dichotomy of brother against brother and two rights coming together because they were both felt like they were right whereas you look at world war ii or something and you say no that was wrong mm-hmm. It was easy to see the black and white, whereas the Civil War, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. They were both right in some ways. Mm-hmm. So it it's two rights. And that makes it um, like if you have a hero that chooses between good and evil, that's an easy choice. But when a hero has to choose between right and right, it's not so easy. And I think that's kind of the, the fascination of the Civil War part, mm-hmm. plus the historical elements that were there. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in the last few years there is even more interest in this um, certain period because of what is going on in the United States? It might be, but I think some of it is cyclic. You know, it comes back around. It's like Westerns weren't popular for mm-hmm. a while. Now it's kind of coming back with Yellowstone and different things that are mm-hmm. on TV. Um, so I think it, it kind of goes in cycles. Um, in some respects, I think that all of the hoopla about the racism and the division in the country, those people really don't know anything about history. So they don't really know what they're talking about 90% of the time. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Folks. Total opinions, my opinion, not yours, right? Mm, um, I would say you are quite right when you say that most people don't know enough about history at all. They just so repeat. Judgments. Yeah, it, it does repeat. And yeah. you're making judgments about things that you don't know anything about. You don't know what it was like to live back then. You don't know what the society believed. It's no different than now. We have these crazy beliefs. And in 25 years or 30 oh. years, people are like, what did you believe? What was that crazy? Yeah. But, you know, it's like, I think people presuppose modern 
thinking on people that lived 150 years ago, and you can't mm. really do that. Mm. I mean, it's also isn't it also the case or the problem when we speak about authors who write uh, um, or set their books in historical settings and then they project their ideas uh, of the current era on the characters back then, when in reality it wouldn't it wouldn't have been like that, especially well, especially kinda... for women, for example. You kind of, yeah, it's tricky because like if you write romance, your main reader is a woman who a modern woman, you know, is probably single or married, but they have a job and they are um, confident in who they are most of the time, you know, so they don't want to read a story about some, it has to be believable, but it has to be relevant to the modern woman it's like if you're going to take uh like if you were writing a medieval it wouldn't be uncommon for a 14 or 13 year old girl to marry a guy who was 30 years old true and in some parts of the world it is still so if you're going to do that and you're going to relate it to a modern reader you can't have that happen so you have mm -hmm. to make it believable mm -hmm. that maybe she was in a nunnery or <laughs> Oh, and he went on crusade and he wasn't there and he had to come back, you know, and she grew up, you know. Uh, so you have to twist it a little to make it believable. But at the same time, you don't want to just go outside the box completely and have some women's feminist ideals thrust upon somebody who never would have thought that. Yeah, exactly. So it's a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, it has to be believable. It has to be something that your character discovers about themselves. Mm. A mm. little tiny aspect, not the whole mm. thing. And like you just said, it has to be believable and it has to be plausible. Does that also mean that sometimes authors do not invest enough research in their time period they like to write in? Yeah, I think that's possible i don't you know you always find something in a glitch or something that even even when you do your research sometimes you miss something mm -hmm. but if somebody is just lazy and it doesn't they don't really do any research you can mm -hmm. tell because mm -hmm. nothing makes sense mm -hmm. you know they don't have their distances down how far you can ride a horse they don't they take their horse on a, a three-month journey or go across the country on the same horse and they don't bring any feed. They don't, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, some of it's not, it doesn't make any sense. You know, <laughs> that's, so, that's true. You know, each stagecoach takes, you know, two days and it's the same driver and the same horses, you know, it's like, no, you can't do that. Um, it's, there's different things like that, that there's simple research that you can do easily nowadays, especially. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not like you have to go to the library and hunt for books and you can just Google Completely. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I find it I find it most interesting because uh I've I heard one author once say she writes also in the Victorian era and <laughs> she once said uh she's a very meticulous researcher. And uh she has written a book where a cycling club uh, uh plays a major part for women. Uh, in the Victorian era, and she said, uh, this uh, cycling club didn't really exist, but it could have existed. So she's, yeah. she's very meticulous on this, on this point. So she probably did a bunch of research on the bicycles of the time mm -hmm. when they were invented, exactly. um, how to get on and how to get mm -hmm. off, kind of clothes mm -hmm. to wear. Yep. So you could, yeah, it's, you could easily do that. Yeah. I mean, Yeah, um, easily. Yeah, I mean, like you said, and it has to be plausible because it was interesting. Next to her, said an author whose books are set uh, in the in the present time, and he invented a whole island in the Caribbean. And since he invented a whole island on the Caribbean, he can also. Uh, <laughs> it was also possible for him to invent other stuff on this Caribbean island, which don't necessarily have to true for other existing uh, Caribbean islands. So yeah, that's where you kind of delve into the fantasy element or parallel realities or 
you know, dual timelines or, you know, you can kind of play with it a little bit, but it has to be clear in the beginning that you're going mm -hmm. in that direction. Mm -hmm. Just throw it in there at the last minute because you're, the reader's going to have a certain expectation when they pick up your book and if mm -hmm. you take it off the rails into a place that, mm -hmm. you know, has magical waterfalls all of a sudden. It's like, no. <laughs> mm. Sort of steampunk feeling maybe. Yeah, you could, but it would have to be set in the beginning. That is the steampunk kind of thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. You can't just throw it in there. And this, the opening chapter should set the tone. Yeah. Would that something be in, that would interest you ever? To do a little steampunk? bit. Yeah, to do a little bit of world building with steampunk? Um, I don't know. I used to like watching that. <laughs> I grew up with a Wild Wild West back in the 60s. Um, and they redid that movie with Will Smith, but, um, that TV show, they redid it as a movie. <laughs> and there was another one with, um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen mm -hmm. with, uh, Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty cool too. I just don't know if that's one of those things like the Civil War book, because you get to the steampunk fans and there's certain expectations mm -hmm. on how things work. And if you mess it up, they're going to, you're, you're dead. Dead in the water. So you have to understand the genres so well that you don't do that to your fans because mm. you it, it's like the Civil War. If you do you get fans that love to read Civil War books. Mm. And so if you mess up something, they're gonna come after you. Mm. Do you the think same with uh, medieval? I think yeah. some of the, some people are really diehard medieval fans. Yeah. I think so too. Do you think that Mm, people who are that interested in in books that are set in the past are nerdier than others. I suppose you can say that, but I think it's it's some kind of like little bit of escape. It's some kind of little validation for their, your own life. It's like kids that are, uh, you know, the nerd fests that go to Comic Con and and all that. They just love that little thing, and it's it's cool. It's like yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, those Civil War buffs, they have reenactments and everything. You know, I have yeah. a friend who, they have horses just to do reenactments. <laughs> you know, down in Virginia, it's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. We she, have. She sews her own clothes for the whole thing, and they have to be. Then there's that whole genre, too, where you make yeah. the clothes accurate, and then there's people that do it half accurate. Mm -hmm. You know, they close enough, and then there's people like, no, you can't do that. Da, da, da. So <laughs> it's like. I know, yeah, yeah, I know, because we, we also have that here in, in Europe. I mean, either the med medieval period, where people pay a lot of money uh, to get their own armor, perfectly oh, made. Wow. Yeah, there is a guy um, who has his own uh, history channel in Germany, and he also has his own armor made for him, costume made, and people do that, and they invest a lot of money. And there are also people uh, in Austria who do enactments of battles um, during uh, in the 19th century between Austria and our neighbors. And they also pay a lot of money to get their costumes right. Yeah. And it costs yeah. a fortune. Yeah. I mean, some people are like, you got the wrong kind of buttons, yeah. you know, or you're using a zipper, don't use a zipper. Yeah, you can't <laughs> do that. Didn't exist. Yeah. So it, it's kind of that way when you write. You got to get your details right because someone's going to call you on it. Yeah. So if you're going to write steampunk, I think you really need to immerse yourself in the genre a little bit before you go and jump into that mm. world. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Kathy, you're also a book coach. What can you tell What? me about this other you? It was like... As a writer, you know, people start coming to you and they, they say, can you read my story? What mm -hmm. do you think of this? Or, mm -hmm. you know, so you start doing that. And then people will say, well, we're doing this little conference, this mini conference. Can you do a, you know, 40-minute talk on some aspect of writing? Mm -hmm. You know, so that sort of evolved into now I do, you know, online uh, workshops for different places. I do some in-person workshops. And so... That just brings more people to say, what do you think about this? Can you read my manuscript? Can you tell me where I'm going off the rails? What do you think about this? How can I fix it? So as I was heading into retirement, I'm thinking, what am I going to do as an older adult, you know, mm -hmm. a senior? Mm -hmm. 
So I'm like, okay. So I um, found through Jane Friedman's um, newsletter. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with Jane Friedman. Mm-hmm. Um, she was. Um, she used to work for Writer's Digest. She's like an expert of all experts in the field of publishing mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. So she knows agents. She knows how to develop websites. How to develop how to develop your own podcast, how to develop. It's, it's like, she does so much for writers and she has a electric <laughs> speed newsletter. Anyway. So in that, there was a little ad that said, read books and get paid. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on it and it went to a website for author accelerator and they were teaching people how to become a book coach. Mm, okay. So I thought, well, I read it and then there was a lot of videos to watch and it's like, what do you think? Do you think this is for you? And that sort of thing. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't afford it. So I saved my money and saved my money. And I thought this will work because I can do this, set my own hours and do this as I get older and I don't have to go to work every day, but I can still be busy, you know? (laughs) And so I took the course and it took me about 15 months to go through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. They offer, um, coaches who want people who want to coach fiction. Mm-hmm. There's another course for people who want to coach um, nonfiction, do book mm-hmm. proposals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like memoir, which mm-hmm. is relatively new, mm-hmm. but um, I am a fiction writer. So I took the fiction course and it was pretty intense. So there's videos, books to read, practicums to do mm-hmm. exercises. You know, you review other people's stuff, you know, not other people in your, not other people taking the course, but there's like other manuscripts that you review and put your thoughts in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it took a while and now I'm certified through them mm-hmm. as a book coach. So if you need help with a book, you need help, you have an idea. There's a lot of people that have an idea and they don't know how to like get it from here or onto the paper and not going off the rails and, and finding some way to structure it. I can help you with that. Or it's like NaNoWriMo is going on right now. And when it's all finished, people have like 50,000 words of what do I do now? You know, how do I take this mm-hmm. cummed up mess and make a, a book out of it? So I can do that. I can help mm-hmm. you with that. Mm-hmm. See where this, you know, look at structure, pacing, character arcs, mm-hmm. um, point of view. Um, Client, you know, conflict, tension, anything, and see where you're going. It might be going off the rails, where it is working, where it's not mm-hmm. working, that sort of thing. So, yeah. So that's kind of what I do now. Mm-hmm. Which, A little bit on the side. Yeah, which also brings me to the important question. What would be your advice then for any other aspiring author out there? A long time ago, uh, we had a speaker at one of our critique meetings is Chuck Sambacino, who he's an author and he's another professional. He used to be an editor for Writer's Digest magazine and stuff. Um, somebody asked him, you know, well, what's your advice for the rest of us, you know, because you're so successful. He goes, put down the remote. You know, you can always take an hour here, 15 minutes there. Just sit yourself down and do it. It's, it's work. You know, it's not going to, you can't wait for the muse to inspire you and wait for the words to flow. Sometimes it's just hammering it out, crap, crap, crap. But you sit down and you got to do the work. Mm. Whether it's writing your book, writing a blog, writing, um, some people do content writing, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's sit down and do it. Mm. it. Just doesn't, doesn't always come. So you put down the remote, you sacrifice some time. Instead of scrolling around on the remote, going channel to channel to channel and wasting an hour, a half hour, whatever, you could have been sitting down writing something, mm-hmm. whether it's a blog or, you know, some content, some workshop that you want to work on, an article for a magazine or a, there's something that you could be doing. Mm. But you got you to gotta make that conscious decision to sit your butt in a chair and put down that remote. Yeah, that's true. But in your own writing... Do you sometimes, how shall I put it, get the feeling when you edit your 
your own books, your own writing, um, that you were exactly in the flow, like you just said, don't wait for it, of course. But there is this moment when you write, when you feel that it's easygoing. I, I always call it the flow. Mm -hmm. And you clearly see at another point in your manuscript there wasn't a flow. Yeah, and then it's common. Yeah, it's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, this went, this is not right, and you just delete it. Or you take it and stick it in a folder for uh, this scene is not going where I need it to go, or it's just a stone wall, or this isn't true to the character, the mm -hmm. character's no longer believable, or there's no point to this scene. It's just fluff or, mm -hmm. or it's just stilted and has no emotion or it's all just harsh telling this happened and this happened and this happened. But sometimes it works for a rough draft, but when you're writing along and then you hit that, it's like, Hmm, you know, what, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sometimes I take those things and I just, I don't want to delete them yet because mm -hmm. there might be some, gem in there and I'll just throw it either at the bottom of the whole manuscript mm -hmm. or I'll throw it into a folder that mm -hmm. says deleted scenes from blah blah because sometimes you go back and you're like hmm this little phrase this word choice or whatever it belongs here mm -hmm. and so you take it and you put it there and then things start to you know come together it's just but you sometimes hit those walls where you're going along and you're like what the heck was this <laughs> This isn't working. It's like, yeah. Or you just hit this wall where you're going, what do I write next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're just staring at it and you're like, I can't think. And you're just staring at it and you start, you know, straightening up your paper clips or something. Um, yeah. Or you write yourself in a corner maybe and you think, oh. Hmm. Yeah. I've done that. You said, you said before that um, with Joey. You you saw him. You saw his, his his character. You had a more or less clear picture of him. Uh, does that also happen to you when you think of certain uh, scenes you are going to create? Sometimes, sometimes, um, sometimes I know what it's supposed to look like, and that's mm -hmm. when it becomes very stilted because you're trying to get it out there on the paper, like. Mm -hmm this happens and this happens and this happens and you lose the character's perspective a little bit because mm -hmm. you're trying to get it, the movie that you've seen in your head onto the paper. Mm -hmm. And then other times it's like, like the, I'm working on a draft right now for a, a book and there's a bank robbery and I know this, they can't open the safe. So it's like, I'm stuck. What am I going to have them do? You know? So I'm trying to think, well, maybe they should get dynamite. Well, how am I going <laughs> to do that? Where are they going to get that? You know, so it's like I want this thing to happen, but I don't know how to do it. So there's no visual in my head yet to get it on paper. So sometimes you hit those kind of snags too. It's just like, well, hmm, how do I get from point A to point B? And what do you do, so, do then? Don't take up the remote, of course, but what do you do then? Rearrange paper clips. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just one of those things is like sometimes I'll skip ahead and leave it out, mm. you know, like yeah. just leave a, leave a hole yeah. and write some, some other part of it, you know, go right there. Or sometimes you can go back to when things were working and try to move forward again. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can do that. And then other times you just got to let it go and let it percolate in your brain. Mm. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, all right. Other scenes. Yeah, right. Other scenes. Mm. Go to the end and then come back, or yeah, mm. go edit something you wrote two days ago. <laughs> Meantime, it's got to percolate. Sometimes it just it comes to you in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning when you're not quite awake, or you take the dog for a walk and you come back and you look at it and you go, "Oh, I know what to do." Or, <laughs> but sometimes it'll be two weeks and you still won't know what to do. Mm. Yeah. So I guess it's just par for the course. Yeah. It's the writer's curse. No? You, as long as you don't quit, I guess <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. As long as you don't quit. Don't give up. Yeah, just do it, like you said. And Kathy, what are the plans for the future? What can your readers expect from you next? 
Well, like the the bank robbery book, you know, it's not about a bank robbery. But the bank robbery happens at the end. So as soon as this book is done, I'll have that one out. And mm -hmm. I got an idea for a short story that I'm toying with. I might try that afterward. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got some online classes coming up for 2024. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be doing that. And Feelers out for coaching clients, you know, people might be interested in some help with their book. Um, just keep moving, keep moving, keep doing something. <laughs> sort of yeah, keeping busy, I see. And is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have all the answers and there's no absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it works for you, go for it, you know. Sometimes it just works for you. Go for it. Did you ever? Did it ever happen to you that when you were uh, editing your your manuscript that you read a passage and you thought, "Oh, damn, I'm good." That happens every once in a while. I go back and read something. It's like, wow, I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> But Most of the time, it's like looking in the mirror and finding zits or something, you know, or gray hair. It's like, oh, I go back. Why did I say that? How did I do? What did I do there? Um, it's it's that's why I don't even read my old stuff because the same way your character grows, you grow as a, as an author, mm -hmm. and so things that you do now that you would, or things that you did then that you would never do now, I, I find it and it's like crap. Why did I do that? You know. That's a passive sentence. How did that get in there? You know? Um, so, yeah. So, I don't even read my old stuff because it's too depressing. <laughs> But, yeah, just every once in a while you read something and you're like, wow, I wrote that. I forgot I did that. <laughs> Genius. There's like one little line or some little snippet of dialogue. Yeah. It's like, yes, got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I do understand that, that feeling. Kathy, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's been a really fun talk. <laughs> It has. Thank you very much. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did? Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.